Welcome to The Boundless Self, a podcast that is here to explore all of the ways in which we limit ourselves. Together, we will explore the deep, messy, exciting, and often uncomfortable topics to identify and heal everything that keeps you from believing in your boundless potential. I'm your host, Kathleen McBride, and becoming boundless changed everything for me. Now I run a life and a business embracing my own fears and helping people all around the world to believe in themselves. Tune into each episode and join me on your journey of becoming your most boundless self. Hello, friends, and welcome back to The Boundless Self. I'm really excited that you're here today. Thank you so much for investing your time here. I'm listening to this podcast. It means so much to me, and I'm so, so excited for this episode. I say that every time, but today we're bringing on an amazing guest expert, Saskia, who is a intuitive eating and body image coach. We talk a lot about disordered eating, eating disorders, harmful behaviors, society, healing this thing, these things within your own child, fat phobia, and so much more. So as always, just take a second to check in with yourself in this moment. I know that many of you listening struggle with disordered eating and things in this realm as well as body image and so much more. So take a breath and this is for everyone. Take a breath and just take a moment to check in with yourself and how you're really feeling today. I think so often with podcasts we chuck them on to distract ourselves from what's really going on in our lives and to create noise in a space where we don't really want to listen to what's going on inside our own heads, our hearts, our bodies. So even just for 30 seconds before you start this episode, which I 100% want you to listen to because it's amazing, but I also want you to look after yourself. And I want you to be in a place where you can really listen to this episode from a place of curiosity. So take 30 seconds, check in with how you're doing, Give yourself some words of love or encouragement or compassion. Remind your inner child and all those other parts of you that exist that they are worthy, that they are loved, that they're important. And most of all, remind yourself that you are whole and enough just as you are. And that you can handle anything going your way right now. That you can do this. That whatever's here for you in this moment in life, whatever you're struggling with, It's going to be okay. And you're safe to be able to speak kindly and compassionately to yourself as you go throughout this process of dealing with whatever it is that's here for you. Please remind yourself of this. And I'm going to make this a a standard for before we begin every episode because it's so important. I also want to share with you that I've recently launched the next round of Boundless. Boundless is my 10-week transformation program, and it is a mix of group and one-to-one support. This program runs over 10 weeks, all online, and it's an incredibly special, slightly mind-blowing experience where you learn to work and dig deep into your deepest fears and insecurities, learning to work with the parts of you because we all have multiple parts of us, our young parts, our old parts, the parts of you that experience fear and doubt and anxiety and anger and pain, those parts of you that you've been pushing away, that you don't know how to deal with, that you've been avoiding, or that you've even been letting them run the show maybe in your life through acts of people-pleasing or continuous self-sabotage or abandoning yourself in order to get the approval of others, procrastination, putting everything off. Or maybe it's perhaps that the way that this manifests in your life is you continue to live a life that is somebody else's. 
You continuously are focused on what you should be doing according to somebody else's idea of success. If this is you and you know you have some stuff to deal with, and I say that in the most loving way because we all have stuff to deal with inside of ourselves. If you're looking for support to work through some of this stuff, if you're interested in what I've been speaking about in these podcast episodes, if you're curious about parts theory, about inner child work, about somatic work, and about learning tools and techniques that go beyond this 10 weeks and into your life so that you can show up as the version of yourself that you actually want to be, as the brave, courageous, compassionate, excited, loving human being that you are, so that you can explore things like starting your own business, showing up more on social media, going after promotions, being more open to love, being more communicative in your relationships and your friendships, setting boundaries with with ease, and just all around developing better relationships in your life, be that with yourself or with others. If you're looking to learn these skills, if you know that it's time, because I believe in all the clients that I speak speak to, they all come to a place where they kind of realize it's time. I'm in the place now to do this work. And the reason that we call it work is because it is work. It's not easy. It is going into all the stuff that society tells us to ignore and push aside and that we shouldn't have to deal with or that we shouldn't have in the first place, like our anger or our jealousy or our insecurity. This program focuses on that, on creating the space for you to explore all of this stuff within you, all of your stuff, in a way that feels safe, in a way that feels secure, and building the foundations of belief in yourself, belief that you're worthy enough and loved just as you are, so that you can go into your life and bring these tools in, so that fear, anxiety, doubt, anger, rage, all those things no longer hold you back, no longer keep you stuck. This is what this program is about. It is powerful. It is transformative. I could not be more excited as to the journey that the last round of the amazing Boundless Ladies have gone through. I will be sharing more and more about what their experience was like inside the program over the next coming weeks. But the next round of Boundless, I've started the official launch date um, or the official start date is the week beginning the 17th of April. So we have a couple of weeks before it begins and I'm offering, if you sign up before the end of March, you get a free bonus one-to-one call with me valued at $350. So how this program works is it's a 10-week program. You receive six group calls. So they are a session where we're doing live coaching within the group. And then you also get six one-to-one calls. Six, sorry, three of these calls are with me and three of these calls are with an emotion code practitioner, which is a form of energy healing. I'm a really big fan of approaching this healing, this journey of development from all angles. So this work involves not only the theories that I'm trained in, but the emotion code. And we explore other works such as somatic, inner child work, reparenting, internal family systems, and so much more so that you can decide what modalities and tools you want to bring into your life that work for you, knowing that not everybody's journey is the same and not one thing works for somebody. You might need something else. That pro- that's what this program is about. It's about finding your unique methods and unique ways of healing, of growing, and of being and transforming in your life so that you can move forward as the person that you most want to be. 
as that courageous version of yourself who does the most amazing things and who lives the most amazing life and who also feels really secure within themselves and who doesn't have an inner critic who's beating away at them and berating them and making you feel like shit about yourself because that was a reality for many of my past clients and myself. That's what this program is about. If you want to learn more, the best way to learn more is to head to the website. I will put the link um, in the show notes and then you are invited to book in a free connection call with me. This is a 30 minute call with me to chat about the program and if it's right for you. There, this is not a sales pitch. This is not a call. We have to sign up to anything. This is literally a call to see if this is a fit and to see if this is landing with you to see if this is something you want to explore. This program is only invited for people who are ready to explore, for people who are making the conscious decision to invest in this work, all right? So if this is you and if you're ready to rumble and you want to explore it further, make sure you book in a free call with me to learn more. Otherwise, I'm so excited to bring on this next guest in such a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. You all know my history with an eating disorder. And just to be clear, in this episode, we do dive deep into eating disorders, disordered eating, body image issues, things with generations passing it down, parenting and fat phobia and so much more. So if this is something that you're maybe going through right now or you've been through, I just invite you to take 10 seconds to check in with yourself and see if this episode is something that's going to support you in this time or if it's going to be something that's going to maybe trigger or upset you all right knowing there's no right no wrong no judgment and just allow yourself to make that best decision for you so let's dive into today's episode and as always please make sure to share and tag this in your stories if this is resonating with you it is the best way for you to support the show Thank you so much for listening. Well, welcome Let's do back it. to another episode of The Boundless Self. I am really looking forward to this conversation today that I get to bring you with the amazing Saskia. She is a body image and intuitive eating coach, and she supports people everywhere to change their relationships with their body and with food. And I think it's such an important topic. Everyone who's listened to the podcast knows my history with disordered eating and an eating disorder and my struggles with body image. I share really openly about it because of the fact that I struggled for so many years of my life crippled with this. And it's amazing to see people out there doing this in the world. And I cannot wait to learn more. So welcome to the Boundless Self show, Saskia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very excited. <laughs> Do you want to start off just by telling us a little bit about you and your story and how how you ended up working in this amazing area? Yeah, sure. Um, how far how far do you want me to go back? How long have we got? <laughs> we've got we've got a little while. Go back as far as you need to to make it make sense. We love detail. Yeah. Okay. So I think when I was growing up, I grew up in a house which was not as much weight loss focused around food, but very, very health focused. So it was macrobiotic food and organic food and all our food came from the health health food shop. And there was a lot of good and bad, healthy and unhealthy binary thinking around food. So I had that as my starting point. And I would say I had a pretty good relationship with food through high school, surprisingly, actually, and always had a more challenging relationship with my body. But then when I finished school and I was in that transition period between school and, you know, real life starting, with all my kind of friendships and stuff changing, 
I lost a quite a big chunk of weight and I pretty much spent the next 20 plus years trying to maintain that. So I had, yeah, a long time. So I had, I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder and, of course, that's all on a spectrum between disordered eating and an eating disorder. And I always just thought my relationship with food was really healthy. You know, all my friends saw me as like Saskia, the really healthy one, and Saskia, the really fit one. But actually, it was an incredibly restrictive relationship with food. I thought about food and my body constantly. I would like before I went out to dinner, I would go online, look at the menu, scour the menu for the healthiest option. And if there wasn't any healthy options, I'd try and gently suggest we went and ate somewhere else. <laughs> and it really was all consuming. I don't know if I realised quite how all-consuming it really was. We never do, um, right? We just, we don't even, like, it's only when you're out on the other side that you have the capability to actually look back and go, oh my God, that was taking up like 99% of my daily energetic capacity and thoughts was food or my body. And isn't that wild, right? When we're living this entire life and this one tiny portion takes up all of our energy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So much time and energy and mental space, you know, just that lying in bed, ruminating about what you ate that day and planning what you were going to eat tomorrow. So, yeah, so I I kind of did that. And then I think it got the worst when I started, I went to a gym and this gym did eight-week challenges. No, not the eight-week challenge, right? Oh. Shoot us yeah, now. shoot us now, which, you know, was, of course, like weekly weigh-ins and standing on one of those machines which turns around and measures your body oh, fat. It's not, and that's, this is the other thing that I've really noticed, right? It doesn't, now it's not just your weight. There's other numbers, right? There's your body fat percentage. There's this, there's that. But it's, they're all just these bloody numbers that we are saying are our health you know, and numbers to measure our worthiness by. Another one. Another one. Yeah, Yeah. and there was a whole list of, you know, numbers on this assessment. And then we were also given a really kind of structured eating plan. And prior to that, I had kind of done it all myself. Like I started in, when I first started dieting, I was in the low-fat phase which is hilarious now because everyone fears carbs so much. But in the low-fat phase, I literally ate white rice constantly, bread constantly, (laughs) cereal constantly. So it's like you just see how it's meaningless, you know, it's so arbitrary, all the diet rules. Anyway, I did this eight-week challenge and I just became obsessed. I was weighing myself all the time and this structure for me and my perfectionist tendencies were just like 
have to do it right. I have to get this right. And then after that, I started working with a PT who also did nutrition support and we started macro counting which meant no. the, the, you know, and the worst thing about macro counting is it's sold as this like really flexible way to eat. It is, isn't it? And it's a lie. Macro counting is, I'll just have to say, I think it's bloody stupid, right? Especially for someone who like the, the essence of what you're doing is just manipulating your food to fit in different categories, right? Like it's not exactly. really changing anything at all. You just spend, I remember, you probably felt this too. I remember spending so much time looking up recipes that had the right content for whatever macro like count or I needed more protein or I needed a bit more fat, you know, and just spending all of this time trying to manipulate the food I was eating to fit into this thing that said, oh yeah, good job, you know? Oh, yes. It was so, so painful because you had to, um, you know, I think, but I remember at the beginning thinking, this is great. Like, because I would put first of all the ice cream that I wanted to have at the end of the day. <laughs> but of course, you pay for that at other areas of the day. Like, you don't just get to have that. It's still got to fit within your macros. And my coach would give me my protein, my carbs, and my fat the week and I would have to or you know I wanted to hit it perfectly and so then if I wanted anything outside the bounds of what I had entered I then had to jigsaw it around I mean I must have spent hours a day on my time right like (laughs) what like it is not a productive use of your time whatsoever is it No, it's not a productive use of your time at all. And I was weighing my vegetables. Like I was even weighing my baby spinach. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, And I had a little, my daughter was really little at the time, and I remember it started with me, I think, her sitting in her high chair eating and me weighing my vegetables and thinking, oh, that's, that's that's not good. This doesn't feel... This doesn't feel good. And then I turned 40 and I remember when I turned 40, it was like it really was, I mean, it's not like this for everyone, but for me it was just like this light bulb moment. I was standing in the mirror and I was looking at myself but not in a body-checking way, more like in my eyes. And I was thinking about, if I have a piece of birthday cake now, maybe I should just have a small one. And if I have that, what am I going to eat for dinner? And then if there's any leftover tomorrow, should I have it? Shouldn't I have it? And I was suddenly just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Are you like, and then suddenly I had this overwhelming sense of like, I cannot be doing this in 10 years. I cannot stand here in this same position when I'm 50 and still be doing this. And I can't have my little girl watch me do this. Mm, and so, yeah. Um, and so then I kind of went on a journey to discover a different way of doing things. You joined um, the rebellion. That's what I like to call it. Cause I feel like 
the diet culture industry is so overwhelming sometimes that you actually need a bit of healthy anger to fuel you in the fight because it is a fight. It's a battle, right? Against everything that we see every single day surrounding us, right? And we that's why I love to call it the rebellion. You joined the rebellion against diet culture saying no fucking more. I'm done doing this and spending all my energy on these frivolous things that don't actually matter because at that time we were you healthy? Uh, I would say I was the least healthy that I've been. I mean, if we think, especially if we think about health in a broad sense, like yeah. mental health, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. like so much anxiety around food and eating. My physical health, there were parts of it which were good. There were other parts which weren't. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you kind of, your emotional health, your social health, all of those things are impacted by it. So no, I I would say I'm way healthier now than I was then. And so what did that journey look like for you joining the rebellion, going through that change? What did that look like for you? Yeah, good question. So I love that you call it a rebellion because it is radical you know it's so radical to go against the grain in this way because for my clients like pretty much everybody in their life is dieting in some way or restricting food in some way so deciding not to do that it is it's a rebellion it's radical it's going against the whole of our fat phobic anti-fat society and doing something totally different So interestingly, I had never heard of intuitive eating. I had heard of every diet, every single diet, 100% heard of all them, but I had never heard of intuitive eating. And I was lucky enough that I had a casual trainer at my gym who was also a coach who worked with people around finding food freedom. So I decided to start working with her. And then I also just got so into the whole thing. Like in my rebellion, I was like obsessively listening to intuitive eating podcasts and reading like book after book after book, like just deep diving into all of it. Um. And it was hard. It was really, really hard because uh, I was unlearning everything that I knew to be true. I was stepping away from what felt really safe Mm. and really familiar. And my body started to change. And I had spent 20 plus years trying to keep it certain way yeah yeah and so yeah I was it was it was really hard so I don't want to sugarcoat you know it being easy and I do remember just these kind of how do I describe it like intense flickers of like these overwhelming feelings of like freedom and liberation just oh like and I remember just going like you know, and, and still being focused on that. And 
I was all in. I was I was really once I make a decision about something, I'm pretty I'm pretty in. So I knew that I was never going to go back to dieting. Um, so I just felt the fear and did it anyway. And slowly I started to see things shift. The um the food piece for me it isn't for everyone, but the food side of things for me was much easier than the body image side of things. Yeah. Yeah. And the body image side of things has been a much longer journey for me. And it's you know, it's a consistent practice as well. Body image is not it's just destination, you know. Yeah, we don't suddenly just go, yay, I'm here. Absolutely. And I think that's something that sadly we wish and also even in this world sometimes we see it marketed as this intuitive eating or you know healing your body image finding food freedom we see it marketed as another essential diet of giving you that quick fix solution but the reality of this work is that it's not a quick fix it's a long journey unlearning years and years and generation upon generation of body shame of fat phobia of issues with food, you know, and unlearning that and welcoming in this new way. But again, you're still having to encounter every single day the diet culture. You're still having to encounter every single day messages that your body defines your worth, messages that this is the perfect body, this is terrible, that you should be eating this, you should be eating that. And that's why it's a journey. It would be completely different if the whole world joined diet culture as a rebellion and it changed and we we changed as a society then I think the journey would be a lot easier. But because we're still in this transitionary period, and I do, I very much believe that we're going down this road of, of radical change. Like, I think the future is looking bright in terms of body image. I really do. I, I think we can do it. And it's people like yourself that are helping us get there. But let's talk about the nitty grittiest thing, which I think people probably need the most help with, which is the body image side, which is the my body is changing. I'm gaining weight and I feel shame. I feel shit. I'm constantly feeling self-conscious. What would you tell that past version of you going through that? What would you want them to know and feel and experience? Mm. It's a, it's a very good question. I think one of the most helpful things for me was realizing there's something called self objectification and I think if you ask I haven't asked a lot of men this but um <laughs> when I ask my clients this there is usually a moment that little girls can remember where they were like living their life from the inside out and they just kind of were inside their bodies seeing it from that perspective and then there would have been a time or a, a point where somebody said something to them, somebody made a comment, somebody looked at them in a certain way and they realised that like, ah, oh, like I'm this object to be observed from this external perspective, observed and maybe judged and criticised from that external perspective. And then over time what happens is that we become that external viewer 
looking um, universe. Ah, yes. So we're no longer living from this place of like as children, you know, you experience so much joy because all you can see is the world. You can't really see yourself in it, right? And you haven't, yeah, you haven't developed that ego and that sense of identity, right? Like this is who I am, this is what I look like, blah, blah, blah. Wow, that's a beautiful that's an amazing way to describe it. So we have that point in time. And I I remember I've definitely got an example in mind and I'd love to share it so that it can spark something for people. But I remember I must have been about 13 or 14 and I we were at school going to we were going to the tennis courts as a classroom to do something and they were locked. And there was own, but the you know the steel mesh that you have on like the outside of courts, the crisscrossy stuff. Yeah. It had like a hole in it and you could lift it up and crawl through. And so the whole class was crawling through and there was this um, really lovely, but very anxious guy in our class. And he was, he was absolutely adorable. And he was talking to his friend being like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to fit through there. And I heard him say, if Kathleen can fit, you can fit. And I remember that moment and it crushed my soul. I was like, Oh my goodness. And what hurt me so much was the person that said this to them was like one of the nerdiest, loveliest guys in our class. Like he wasn't a, he wasn't a cool judgmental cat at all. He was, he was actually quite nice, you know, and it hurt me so much that somebody that I um, assumed was nice, you know, had, had mentioned and not, not his fault, but had said something about, about my body like that. And I, I remember that crushing moment of shame. And that was my moment where I realized, oh my God, like people are judging me for my size. There's something wrong with me. You know, do you, do you have a moment that you remember? I remember a few. I remember, um, I remember being teased a lot in primary school. Mm-hmm. I remember being called moon face a lot in primary school. Oh, that's like a horrible one. Yeah, and I, but I also remember being on the beach with someone in my family and her looking at my thighs and going, oh, look, your thighs rub at the top too, like all the other women in our family. And it was an, it was like a, you know, unfortunately your legs are a, like are a problem. And so there was, I mean, look, there would have been so many more but, you know, if you think about when when you get ready as a woman, like when you're getting ready to go out, I bet you most people can envisage that they are actually thinking to themselves, what do I look like to other people? How do I appear to other people? So we continue to do that. So part of the work that I often do with clients is getting them to kind of come back to living their life from the inside out yeah. um it's like when we you know when we go clothes shopping and we um have somebody with us and you know when you put something on and you feel great in it you're like oh my god I look good right and you're like really excited but you still go out and go yeah I like I feel good in it but what do you think do I actually look good in it you still need that you know so I, I'm imagining like imagine a world where we all never asked anybody if we looked good imagine a world where we just we put something on and our own feeling of how it felt on our body on our skin the colors that we enjoyed imagine if that was enough like imagine a world like that that'd be fucking amazing wouldn't it so good so good yeah 
Um, and my daughter, you know, my daughter is like still in this, um, like still just in, like loves her body, like just thinks it is awesome, you know. Like, like I have hands, so, yeah. <laughs> like I'm so cool. Um, and I think the other thing that I would want myself to know at that stage is like that there is so much to your worth that has absolutely nothing to do with your body. And the things that are really interesting about me as a person and my values and all of that stuff isn't to do with the way that my body looks. It's to do with something much more internal to me and something that also can't just be um, taken away, you know, like we're all going to age. Our bodies are all going to change throughout this lifetime. And if that is what we are holding on to as like I am only worthy if X, Y, and Z about my body, then there's a there's a great deal of like unsafety in that as well. So yeah, I'd want myself to know that because I, I it has made it the kind of the self-growth that I've gone through on this journey has been huge because I had to start to examine like what are my values and do they align with weighing my baby spinach? Mm-hmm. And do they align with controlling my food and focusing on my weight all the time yeah and like it doesn't yeah it just doesn't hey like when you and was it like you mentioned you had your daughter and you had this moment do you think that was the contributing factor to that almost waking up and having that moment of like I can't be weighing my baby spinach and modeling this for my child you know modeling this sense of control and that I am my body, you know, and that my value comes from this place? Yeah, a hundred percent because I did not want to pass the legacy of body shame and food issues down to another generation. You know, you mentioned it before, but it is like this awful heirloom, like some really ugly <laughs> vase <laughs> that just gets passed down and each of the people go, all right, I'll take it, and I'm oh. like... I don't want your ugly, I don't want your ugly bars. This is stopping, this is stopping here. And, That's the you know, best way I've ever heard it described, an <laughs> ugly heirloom, the vase you never wanted from grandma or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's put me in, you know, to, to kind of bring up a child as, like when she was young, I was really restrictive of her eating, like restricted her sugar and what she could eat. And it's just so nice to now have a child who has been raised as an intuitive eating eater and just has such a free and easy and calm relationship with food. She has a really great foundational relationship with her body. She understands even the nature of fat phobia and how it exists and we'll that point is, it out all the time. That is absolutely incredible. And so what I heard from you before when we were talking about, you know, what would you really want your younger self to know, which was that, you know, shifting to living from the inside out again, becoming more like your childlike self, you know, and enjoying that. 
and then going down this road of being like, no, actually I have value outside of my body and being like, and listing them. These are the things like, these are the things that are important and special about me that have nothing to do with my body. But what, what do you do? And I'm very curious because I know there'll be a lot of parents, a lot of potential parents, even myself, I'm very much like, I do not want to pass this on to my future children. What do you actually do with your daughter every day around food? Like what are some of the habits that have given her this amazing foundation? Yeah. So um, I follow something quite, look, I think, I think just wanted to say like everyone does this in their own unique way, in a way that works for their family. First of all, there is no description of food as good or bad, healthy or unhealthy. Food is just food. So chocolate is chocolate and broccoli is broccoli and there is no moral judgment around food. And I gently follow something from someone called Ellen Satter and she calls it the division of responsibility. So the parents or carers or the family decide um, when to eat, what to eat and where to eat and the kids decide how much they want of the food that is offered. And so um, I will kind of put on her plate a range of different things, things that I know that she likes, but I would never say to her, you need to eat your broccoli before you eat your dessert. It's just whatever she wants to eat because as soon as you say something like, you have to eat all your vegetables. First of all, it kind of sends the message like vegetables are so bad that you have to get a reward for eating them. Yes. And it also just kind of creates a hierarchy with food. You know, they know that there's something about that particular food. So I, she really has freedom to, this is all about really trusting her to understand her inner signals. When is she hungry? When is she full? What feels satisfying to her? Has she had enough? Like if she asks for more food, I'm not going to say, um, no, you can't have any more, you've had too much. I'll say, how's your body feeling? Do you still feel like you've got room? And she'll be like, yeah. And then when she's finished, she'll just finish. And I would never tell her she has to eat everything on her plate because of course when you do that you're asking them to override their inner signals Mm. so the point for me is to look at this in a long like the long term so I want her to have a healthy relationship with food in in the long term so we have the full range of food in our house and she has like all types of food and I would say she has a really um healthy relationship with food that's incredible can you imagine what that would have been like for you growing up and and what your life would have looked like you know and what would have become available to you from that space it's so beautiful and exciting to see that within her right it must be can imagine it would be really healing seeing that, that that you're changing this for her. What does that feel like for you to witness that? It feels um, 
I think I think one of the things that feels so good is it's empowering your kids. Like it's building up this sense of you can trust yourself. Like you can trust the inner wisdom of your body because your body is clever. Like it knows, it has an inner intelligence. Mm. And of course, like with her and with all my clients, you would know this, once you start trusting yourself in one area of life, it moves into all other areas of life. Like the, you know, and so that is what I love so so much about it. And I love that she doesn't get that sense of when she has a desire. Like I don't give her everything she wants all the time. For example, like if she wanted some huge thing to eat before dinner, I would generally say, you know, dinner's coming soon. So we'll just, you know, just wait a bit. Um, But she can have desires for things and say what she wants and say, I'd really love this. And it's not like the immediate, like, you can't have that, that's bad. You've already had too much of that. It's got too much sugar. So it's this more kind of calm and free and easy relationship um, around it. And I think that trusting of your inner wisdom is so important because I know for me, when I left home, um, I just wanted to eat all the things that I wasn't allowed to have. And <laughs> Yes. It's like when you go on holiday, right? Like when you're on holiday, you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to eat everything I can't. You know, I normally wouldn't let myself eat at home, you know? Yeah. And I used to like at, at kids' parties, I remember like you just find me at the food table because I was like, this is food that I never get allowed. Yeah. And it creates and- that horrible cycle of the binge and restrict, doesn't it? And like I know as a kid, multiple. Well, even actually, I really struggled with binge eating as an adult, but as a kid, I did it multiple times as well, where I'd eat to the point of being sick because I had no mm-hmm. idea what my body was trying to communicate to me when you have that feeling of, oh, I've eaten, I've eaten too much, I'm too full right now. This is uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that feeling of scarcity around food really carries into later life so yeah and then with her body too I mean we've had a few times where she came home and one of the other kids at school had told her that she was fat and I really was so glad to be in a place where I could help her yeah unpack that (laughs) did you have like a moment of of like mother rage being like I'm gonna kill that kid like Oh, look, I think what I actually, what I, what most people would do, not I, I shouldn't say what most people would do. I know that a lot of people, when they get that comment, would say, oh, you're not, you're not fat, darling, you're beautiful. And, and then, then of course. Phobia comes in, right? Yeah. Yeah, because that by its very essence is saying there is something wrong with being fat. And I'm using the word fat here as a, as a neutral descriptor, like, you know, someone has brown hair or blue eyes or something. And so we were able to unpack all that together. And I said, you know, how did it make you feel? And, you know, she was like, well, I know there's nothing wrong with being fat. And I know that everybody has a different body and some people have bigger bodies and some people have smaller bodies. Um, but we were also able to unpack that the person who said it 
was saying it in a way that they believed was an insult. And so, um, but just being in a position to talk that through with her and kind of understand how it made her feel, but also saying like, there's nothing wrong with being fat because that is, is so important. Otherwise, yeah, we're just perpetuating fat phobia within our own houses without even really knowing it. Yes. Wow. What an amazing conversation for you to have with her. And like, I can imagine at the same time, you're also talking to your own younger self as well, you know, like it's this beautiful cycle of just continuing to support yourself through this, through her as well, you know, and it, it's an incredible journey that I'm, I'm really glad people are hearing that it's possible, you know, and mm. Saskia, what I can really hear from you, you've spoken a lot about how it's a journey, right? And I really feel the same. Like for me, this even this morning, I went out, I'm in Bali on holiday, went out for a walk and I was like, oh, you know, I'll stop by this, you know, green smoothie place that does protein shakes. I'll get a protein shake. That's awesome, you know? Um, and I and I was like, I don't want a protein shake. I want a watermelon juice and another chocolate croissant that I had yesterday because it was fabulous. That's what I feel like. And I felt myself falling into that same trap of the battle, right? Inside my head of, oh, this is right, this is wrong, da, 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 da. And and then I felt the excuse coming in of, oh, but you're on holiday. And I had to have this conversation with myself this morning, Kathleen, it doesn't matter if you're on holiday or not. What would you like to eat? Nothing bad is going to happen Mm -hmm. if you have a a juice and a croissant for breakfast. You're not going to lose love. You're not going to feel bad. It's just food, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I always get humbled and reminded by those moments that it is a journey, you know? And so for you on your journey, what are the things that you're, I don't know, doing every day or reminding yourself of every day to support you in some of those hurdles that we all have? Mm, yeah, good question. I I think now pretty honestly that my relationship with food feels really free. It yeah. really does. Um, but it did take a lot of work. I still occasionally hear those diet culture voices and I like I've kind of personified this voice in my head I sometimes hear it but it's it's very um it's very soft now and I'm very disconnected from it but I do remember earlier on in my journey that it would be like this back back and forth between should have that shouldn't have that should have that you know and just drive me crazy and I think that the dropping down into your body and being able to just take a moment and go, what what do I, what does my body want? Like, what do I actually want in this moment? And even though I can hear that voice, I'm going to follow my body's lead. And for some people and a lot of my clients, they say, I've got no idea what my body wants. I've got nothing. Because well, you've <laughs> wanted, right? And this journey yeah. of you know, in this world that we live in, we we are just ignoring our hunger cues essentially through endless amounts of dieting and trying to, you know, curb. God, I remember taking some god awful pill to try and curb my hunger, right? And my my cravings, and my I literally was trying to take something to stop my body from giving me those cues. And so we do disconnect from them, right? 
what is what is that journey like of reconnecting? You said for yourself it was quite easy once you, the food was easier, but what do you see within your clients on that journey of going, I have no idea what my body wants to, oh, this is what my body is craving. What's what's that like? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is a lot of people are very disconnected from their hunger and fullness cues. Mm. And we are taught that hunger is something that we should fear or something that we should ignore or something that we should second guess. And so it can be very hard to, um, even if we do get the cues, to listen to and trust those cues. But then some people feel like they don't even have hunger cues, like they basically either um, find themselves absolutely ravenous (laughs) so they can't get the nuances of hunger along the way so I think part of it is checking like trying to be intentional about checking in with your body throughout the day just like you might be with checking in with your emotional state throughout the day but it's like checking in with your body and also understanding that hunger doesn't just present itself in your stomach like sometimes it can Um, But sometimes by the time you feel like a growling kind of empty feeling in your stomach, you're really hungry. And then by the time you actually get to make your food, you're in this like primal hunger state and you just need to eat it (laughs) at like full speed really quickly. So there are um, other things that happen to people. So it might be a slight headache or it might be a drop in mood or it might just be that you're starting to have thoughts of food, that you're starting to, like, you know, be thinking about food. Because we're told that cravings are so bad, right? Something's wrong with you if you have a craving, right? But what I'm hearing is that a craving or, you know, having that, oh, what am I going to eat later today can actually be a hunger cue. Yeah, absolutely. And the more we honour those hunger cues in the moment and start eating more regularly and consistently, then what we generally see is they tend to come back online. Yes. And is everybody quite different or do we generally have similar hunger cues or are we all different? Everyone's really different. Everyone's really different. People, Some people will get like a kind of like a pulling sensation in their throat mm-hmm. um you know some people will get I mean I remember that you know so so much is said about you know the three o'clock slump in the afternoon that people get and all these things people should try a lot of the time people just need to eat <laughs> yes and like, like, you know, you, yeah and you know when you have like a meltdown and you're like you know you you or you blow up at someone you get really angry and you have a freak out about something you get overwhelmed with something and how, like the two favorite questions to ask myself in those moments are, are you tired? Are you hungry? Right. And like, it's funny because it's essentially what we would do with a child, but you need to do it to yourself too. Babe, are you hungry? Are you sleepy? Like, do you have all your bases covered before going to, you know, the worst case scenario of you having a mental breakdown, you know, over here, but it's so important. Right. And we do spend all this time disconnecting from them. And Saskia, you said you're also, when we were chatting that you're a mindfulness practitioner as well. And so I can really feel that part of reconnecting to your hunger cues is 
like you said, coming back inside the body and becoming more mindful of the communication that your body is giving you. Does that mindfulness practice help with that? Definitely, because I think just, you know, a lot of the time we are racing around and there's so much going on and we forget to actually say, how am I feeling in this moment? Like just take a moment to go, how am I feeling? As you said, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Do I need to just get up from what I'm doing for a moment? So the mindfulness practice, yeah, has been very, very, very helpful for me on my journey. And even just kind of meditating in the morning and having that time to just be with what is going on kind of sets the base often for during the day just to go, okay, what's happening, body? Like, where are we? Where are we at? And so, yeah, definitely a, a big connection between intuitive eating and, you know, coming coming home to your your body. So, yeah, there's a big connection there. Yeah, totally. And I liked what you said there about at this, like the beginning of every day, you kind of set the reminder, right? Like, remember, we will take a second, let's reconnect to our body, you know, so that you set it up so that throughout the rest of the day, that becomes your regular practice to be in your body rather than, you know, when you wake up and you check your phone and you've got notification, you, you jump right out of bed and you're off you go, you're running late, you normally end up having a really crappy day, right? Because you feel like you never have a moment to yourself, you're never caught up. But I'm hearing that that little, maybe if it's even 30 seconds of just when you wake up and when you're lying in bed, you know, just being like, oh, how's my body feeling right now? You know, and it could be even relating to those, you know, the aches and pains that we feel is a really good one to start with, I find. Um, especially I do a lot of somatic work with my clients, which essentially is very similar. It's getting, you know, in touch with the connections and the sensations in the body. But so many of my clients as well say, I do not know, like I can't feel anything, right? But getting in touch with the body's, you know, general aches and pains or when you stretch in the morning is such a beautiful way to get started with that. Do you have any other tips on how to get started in an, in, in that struggle? Do you mean with, with intuitive eating or do you mean coming back to the body? I'd say coming back to the body because it feels like that's the foundation required to move into yeah. that intuitive journey. Yeah, I mean, look, interesting that you should mention the somatic stuff because in some ways it's quite similar. Like with that sort of work, you're trying to work out, and I guess it's the connection between the mindfulness stuff as well, like what does anxiety feel like in my body? Where does it sit? Like what's the sensation of it? And so in a similar way, you're trying to discover like what does hunger feel like in my body? What does fullness feel like in my body? What does a comfortable level of fullness feel like? What does uncomfortable feel, fullness feel like? What does satisfaction feel like in my body? Like how do I know? Oh, that's a I'm good satisfied? question. That's a great yeah. question. What does satisfaction feel like in my body? What does it feel like to be satisfied? Because you're right, there's the point of, and I remember I really struggled with this. I would either like not eat enough or I would eat too much mm. and feel uncomfortable. Like I struggled to find that sweet spot of satisfaction of what worked for me and felt really good without comparing myself to what other people were eating and how much other people were eating, you know, but what's my version of that? 
So finding satisfaction. Mm. Well, that sounds, I'm going to do, I'm going to do that again today. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So you'd be thinking like, what do I feel like eating? Do I want something hot or cold or crunchy or smooth or sour or sweet? So you're going through all of the kind of senses as well. Mm. And to answer your question from before, I think part of the coming back to the body is trust because we know when we need to go to the bathroom. We need to go to the bathroom. That's a body, that's a sensation we get, and then most of the time if it's available, we'll go. <laughs> but when we get a hunger cue, we go, you know, imagine if every time you go to the toilet or you needed to go to the toilet you were like, oh, do I really need to go? Like maybe I should just chew some gum. Maybe I should just walk around the block and then just like double-check like, Maybe I'll just chew some gum instead and I'll see. Well, I, I have to tell everyone, I'm in Bali at the moment. Bali Valley got me good. And it was, it's been a very funny journey of being like, oh, do I need to go? Am I there? Like, is there a bathroom nearby? It's been such a, a week of just being reconnected to those um, sensations that we kind of automatically just do that in our lives. We listen to them, right? And I guess that's the goal or way of moving towards with food as well right that it just becomes just like oh you know when you need to go to the bathroom you go to the bathroom when you need to eat you eat when you're thirsty you have some water you know yeah exactly so the coming back to the body part is is I think starting to notice the cues first and then when you notice them take action on them and trust that your body is not just lying to you or trying to betray you or something because the more you do it over time as you said the more kind of normalized it becomes so now I'm not thinking like you know going through and doing a body scan and trying to work out if I'm hungry I'm just like I kind of just get up and get food it's a it's a much more automatic thing now so yeah I think the biggest thing that blocks people is the um the inability to trust it or to try and override it or ignore it and when that's happened for a long time it's it can be a slow process to to kind of come come back to that Mm, totally and like trust is a muscle you know like we're never going to trust something that we haven't done a lot before and I think we need to get really honest with ourselves about that especially on this you know, journey of desiring the quick fix and wishing, you know, things would be easier and things like that. But the reality is if you've been doing something one way for your whole life or for most of your life, it's going to take a while to build trust in yourself that this new way is safe, that this new way is okay, that this new way is not going to kill you, that nothing bad is going to happen, you'll be all right, you know. Um, And that just comes down to our innate survival instincts we always want something that's gonna benefit us in the long term is there a process that you go through where like I I always say to my clients I feel like half my job as a coach is getting them to acknowledge and celebrate what's been happening because of the work that they're doing is do you do this as well with your clients around acknowledging and celebrating what's become possible from these changes that they're making with their eating habits like that trust self-trust we were talking about yeah, 100%. So I quite often start off a coaching session and ask what have you got to celebrate or what's been going well this week because, you know, we tend to focus on the things that haven't been. And quite often when I ask that question, 
they'll say like, oh, it's not something very big, it's just tiny. And actually it isn't. It's like a total shift in thinking. Or it might be something like, well, I've just noticed that I haven't really been thinking about food much this week. And I was like, well, And that, you're like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> It's like the first call they were saying that they spent like 90% of their free time thinking about food. So, yeah, we're always celebrating those things along the way because it's so important to recognise them. And often there is, actually, I've got a client who she did know this was a celebration, but she calls it like, she thinks that like this situation with the chocolate almonds was this pivotal moment for her because she started bringing into the house previously off-limits foods because that's what we want to do. We want to bring them in and start allowing ourselves to eat those foods so they become more habituated and they become more normal because the more we expose ourselves to something, the more it's just like normal Mm -hmm. um and she had them and she was kind of eating them at a desk and she felt like a kind of binging kind of quality to it but at one point she kind of put this last almond in her mouth and she said oh this thing went off in her head like I can have this whenever I want and I don't want it anymore now and she put the last almond away and then they just sat there and it was this and she said I've had um I've had them in the house and I could never have these things in the house before and now I just can go and have them when I want them in a quantity that feels good for me and my body but I have the power back because I know that I can have this thing again so yeah those sort of celebrations are you know they're they're big yeah they're massive and you think about the impact that that has on how they're showing up in the rest of their life, how they show up in their relationships, at their job, the confidence and the trust that you build within, you know, building that trust with your internal cues and your hunger and taking your power back. Like, damn, that's going to have a massive effect on what you continue to do in your life day to day, right? Yeah, yeah. And the fa- my most favorite thing um, that I see with clients is this opening up of space again and being able to think, oh, I've got so much time and energy back. Like what can I, what can I do? I can like now focus on actual things that bring me joy and satisfaction and fill up my cup rather than, you know, putting all my food in. Weighing your spinach. Yeah. Oh my, don't even get me started on my fitness pal. I curse the woman that told me about that. God, that took a long time. I call it that. Oh, I call it my shitness pal. <laughs> All right, you heard that here, folks, first. My shitness yeah. pal. I love that. It's amazing. All right, and Saskia, let's wrap this up. This has been incredible, but I would love, at the, I meant to ask at the beginning, but I got distracted. Can you define like what intuitive eating actually is for us? Because you said like I had heard of every diet under the sun, but no idea what intuitive eating was. So if you're telling somebody what this is for the first time, maybe on this podcast, what would you tell them? What would I say? So intuitive eating is a 
self-care eating framework. And there are 10 principles to intuitive eating, but they are not rules, even though chronic dieters sometimes like to turn them into rules. So in essence, we're all born intuitive eaters. So we all know how to eat when we are born. You know, the baby will go up and and, and suckle and, and get breast milk and we know how to eat. But over time, we get almost alienated from our natural relationship to food and we get overwhelmed by all these using and contradictory rules. So as we've spoken about, intuitive eating really teaches you how to trust the sensations of your body again. And it is your body who tells you when to eat, how much to eat and what to eat. So it is actually coming back to, um, you know, not should I have this or is this healthy or do I deserve this, but kind of asking questions like, do I want this food right now? Do I like how it tastes? Am I going to enjoy it? How does that make me feel? So it's really, and one of the most important things is that, and, and the first principle of intuitive eating is reject the diet mentality. So that means everything from that world you are rejecting. And the the other part of it is that it uh, isn't just the hunger and fullness diet. There are lots of people who start to think, okay, if I'm doing intuitive eating, I can only eat when I'm hungry and then I have to stop when I'm full. But it's much more nuanced than that. So, you know, there are times when you eat because you're hungry. There are times when you eat because it's a celebration. There are times that you eat for just pure pleasure. So it's... um. I want to say that because I know a lot of people do kind of turn it into that, especially people who've been <laughs> dieters. Um, hands up over here. So, I definitely did that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and there is also something else to say about intuitive eating is, is it's not all instinct-based. Like there is also a practical side to this. So sometimes... If I have a meeting that's going to go for two hours, I'm not like asking my body, I'm asking my practical, rational self, what's going to happen if you don't eat for the next two hours? Okay, that's going to be over lunchtime. You're going to be really unfocused and hungry on the call. So eat now. So yeah, it's more nuanced than just intuition. Yeah, that's an incredible share and thing to remember because I remember the same thing when I first found out about intuitive eating I was like what I was like what do you mean you just eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full like you probably wouldn't get the nutrition that you needed you know what if you had this going on what if you had that going on what if you were sick blah blah blah. you know and I think that's really important to distinguish that it's not just about that there is a practical side to it there is you know that side where you you know you got to live your life you got to make sure that you are you know getting the foods that you feel really good in and that you need but there's also that other side of the importance of rebuilding that trust with your body through reconnecting to hunger cues and through realizing that your body does hold quite a lot of information about what it needs, right? And like I loved what you said about taking back that sense of power that food isn't controlling me, right, in my life. Mm. Yeah, and stepping away from 
all of the external rules. And there are so many. I mean, when I wrote down my food rules, there were pages and pages and pages. And so many of them contradicted each other. But every time I had done a diet, I just put rule after rule after rule. So part of intuitive eating is kind of unpacking all those rules, starting to question those rules, starting to challenge them mm-hmm. and listening to it's it's body-based, you know, it's internal rather than external. You should eat X, Y, and Z, you, you know. So that's that's one of the differences too. Mm, I love that. Anytime you, I think anytime your head says I should be doing something, that is your like red flag to be like, maybe take a second look at that. Maybe explore that just a second, right? <laughs> yeah, the old, the old should. Yeah. <laughs> dangerous, dangerous word. Dangerous <laughs> word. I love it. Well, Saskia, thank you so much. There were so many important nuggets there. And like, I'm just going to recap a couple that are really sticking out for me, which were really getting back in tune with your body and asking yourself, like I was something that was cool that you said there was, you know, when you go to think about food, like, you know, close your eyes, get into your body, but think like, do I want something crunchy? Do I want something soft? Do I want something, you know, a drink or whatever it might sorry, big sound outside um, or whatever it might be, but reconnecting back to those bodily cues and learning to distinguish what yours are, right? And that they might not just be the growling in the stomach. They might be that you get a little bit tired or maybe you get a little bit um, like a, a bit of brain fog or whatever that might be, like distinguishing your unique hunger cues and rejecting all of the rules. That was the other one thing that really stood out to me, rejecting all of the rules that exist in our society for what we should be eating and how we should be eating and what order we should be eating and what times we should be eating, like rejecting the rules to find that sense of freedom again. And then the third one I just want to really bring in was then make sure to almost tell your brain and your mind the benefits that these changes are having in your life, like those celebrations, like you said, like look at how that trust in your body is being mirrored in all areas of your life, you know, are your relationships improving as well? Do you feel more peaceful in your day-to-day? Do you have more energy to be more creative? Like look at those things. Is there anything else you would add to that list? Mm, No, but something just came up with one of my clients recently said that because she was eating more carbohydrates, again that she was like a more patient parent because she actually felt oh like gosh. you know less less hungry and she felt satisfied by the the food that that she was eating so mm. yeah one, one other thing i forgot to mention that i do think is important is that intuitive eating is a weight neutral Um, framework and it has nothing to do with weight loss and there are so many people out there promoting intuitive eating who are also weight loss coaches and there is absolutely no connection between the two this is about creating healthy peaceful relationship with food it is not a weight loss tool and I think that's really important because if you look at the hashtag intuitive eating on Instagram, it is a mess. It is a mess. <laughs> All right, you have that here first, folks. So it's it's nothing to do with weight loss. It's about changing your relationship with food and really supporting your mental health, right? Because the 
anxiety, the fear, the doubt, the overthinking, the energy that you can spend on this can put you in a really dark place, right? And again, mentioning, you know, having kids and not wanting to pass this on to your children, it's important to look at yourself. And it's hard, right? It's really hard to look at yourself. Even in this conversation today, I've gone, oh, okay, there's definitely a few areas where I am still following a few rules, you know, where I could be looking at this a bit more. And it's a journey, right? It's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. And I want I want everyone to join the fucking rebellion with me because we need you. We need you on this on this world that I'm sure Saskia is going to build with me. We're building this world where people are free to be who they are and to create and to live and to feel worthy of love, no matter their weight, no matter their size, no matter the color of their skin, no matter how their voice sounds or whatever it might be. But we're building this world and this society that looks like this. And that starts with you. It starts with you rejecting the harmful nature of diet culture and welcoming in a newfound level of respect, love, and admiration for this body that you're in and this life that we're living. Mm. Well, wow, that was, oh, that was like, I just need to put this as a mantra. Um, so everyone join the rebellion with us, but Saskia, if somebody wants to start this journey of intuitive eating, of healing their body image, where can they find you and what kind of support do you offer? Because hands down, like if you're in a position to go and get some support, right? Like it makes the journey a whole lot easier. Yeah, it really, it really does. And a lot of my clients have tried to do this on their own for a long time. And there are a lot of fabulous books and Instagram accounts and podcasts to listen to, but because it is so unique and personal and because we live in a body all the time and we're eating all the time, well, we should be, um, yeah, I think that that support's really important. So my Instagram handle is intuitively.eaten. Nobody can spell intuitively, so. <laughs> I will link it in the show notes, don't you worry. Yeah. But if people can't spell it, you're not, you're not alone. And I offer both one-to-one coaching and I also have a group program. So clients can come and work with me in either of those ways. Incredible. Well, I'll make sure to share all the details in the show notes, but Saskia, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and have this conversation with me and with the amazing listeners to this show. Anyone, if this is resonating with you, if you were like, damn, I need to, I need to spread this word. I want to join the rebellion. Please make sure to share and tag us in your stories so that we can share it further and wider too. And this message of your worth is not anything to do with your body weight. Uh, it is to do with who you are. And that's an exciting world that I know we all want to create. But thank you so much. Is there anything you want to say to anybody listening before we close? No, that was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me. You're so welcome.